0: The first time I ever came to Austin, I think the thing that struck me most was the fact that there were dogs everywhere. You go to a restaurant, there's dogs outside, you go to Zilker, you go to Town Lake, you go to the Greenbelt. I feel like I've seen a dog in a grocery store. I love dogs, now I have my own dog. I don't think I could ever have a dog in another city because I take moose with me everywhere. That is the reason that I love Austin and probably the reason I still live here. I'm Grace Pepper, and this is I Love You So Much.
2: Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin,
3: even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tolly Mosley. I'm Omar Gaiaga. And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman.
2: First things first, we're having a party and you're invited. We at the I Love You So Much podcast are celebrating the show's one year anniversary with a happy hour. It's coming Wednesday, August 1st at Indian Roller. The party starts at 630 and it's free to get in. Look for a Facebook invite near you or check out our show page for all the details.
1: Richard Garriott has been to space. He's been to the Titanic and he even hit the North Pole recently with his kids but he's best known for designing role-playing video games, including his latest, Shroud of the Avatar. He came by to talk to us about his life of adventure, both real and virtual.
3: Texan Melissa Radke has amassed millions of views for her tell-all videos on parenting fails, marriage, infertility, and upside-down French braiding. Now she has a book, Eat Cake, Be Brave, which was just released. And it details how, at age 41, she made a decision to live a radically braver life.
1: Social media editor Eric Webb gives us the buzz on how to deal with mosquitoes this summer. Readers chimed in on how to deal with mosquito bites and how to repel the critters in the first place. Eric Webb gives you the lowdown. We'll end, as always, with our recommendations and a toast. But first, Richard Garriott, known to many of his fans as Lord British, he visited our studio to talk about his latest epic online role playing game, Shroud of the Avatar. Richard Garriott, welcome to. I love you so much. Thanks for being here. My pleasure to be sure. Now, I I have been talking to you about games for going on twenty odd years, at least. Oh my goodness! Uh, I remember <laughs> David Swafford person, met me. He's like, "What? You're the you're writing about Richard, and you're the intern? What?" <laughs> Little did he know I'd be still around <laughs> twenty one years later. Uh, but anyway, I, I wanted to, uh, to to for our listeners who maybe are not gamers or who maybe haven't played your games before. How do you tell people what Shroud of the Avatar is? How do you explain it to
4: people who maybe are not in that world? Yeah, well, the uh, uh, Shroud of the Avatar is my latest release. It is uh, sort of the spiritual successor to my earliest work, actually. Uh, And my earliest games, which I published for the first 20 years of my career, uh, was a series of games called Ultima. And uh, they're sort of medieval fantasy role-playing games, sort of like Dungeons & Dragons and Lord of the Rings uh and uh that was sort of also my my uh my most successful uh period was my early career uh and uh th- that that line uh, had about 20 different games in that series and I've not worked in that field uh that style uh, almost for uh, about 10 or 15 years so this was sort of going back to my roots uh bringing that back to the forefront it just came out uh, quite recently and uh we're now in the kind of the marketing phase, the online marketing phase, and trying to grow the customer base. We had built it with Kickstarter, so it was sort of a quiet launch since it's a Kickstarter-supported game, a you know, crowdfunded game. But we're now trying to build it up from there. Now this launch, this launch in March, but you'd been working on it for years, years and years. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So what
1: what makes obviously it's the same kind of style of game as as the Ultima games, but what makes this
4: different? Obviously, we've got. Different technology, MMO,
1: of course, have taken off since then.
4: Yeah, well, in fact, if you look at my earlier games, there were sort of two kinds of games in my early career. There were uh, Ultima's one through nine <laughs> were solo player games that had deep stories, often with ethical parables built into their underpinning. That was, in fact, what was kind of unique about my games was sort of these ethical underpinnings where you were tempted to behave badly. Uh, But then uh, uh, if you did behave badly, you discovered later in the game uh, that you couldn't win until you sort of made amends for all that bad behavior. Mm. Uh, and, uh, And then the finale of the Ultima series, the very last game in the series, was something called Ultima Online, which was the first of this new category of games that are now referred to as massively multiplayer games or MMOs. But MMOs classically don't have much of a story in them and they definitely don't have much uh, ethical parable type (laughs) stories in them. And so what we tried to do with Shroud of the Avatar was sort of put those together. Mm -hmm. And so Shroud of the Avatar is uh, a complex game in the sense of you can play it like an MMO or you can play it like a solo player game. You can actually play it online or offline. You can play it by yourself or with a party of friends or in an MMO-like setting. Uh, And so it's sort of a uh, a blend of, uh, it has a technology that allows it to kind of throttle up or throttle down how solo player or how multiplayer it is, either at the player's uh, request or as the game chooses to for storytelling purposes.
1: Now, Addie you've got kids uh, that are kind of in the preteen I- realm. My kids are, are 10 and 8. Uh, they play games like Fortnite. And I mean, play-
3: I'll, I'll, the, in my whole, my head, this whole time, I'm thinking, is that what Fortnite is? Is that what Fortnite is? Now, Fortnite does not have ethical parables. In yeah it. So, <laughs> Well, should I build kids? this or should I not build this?
4: <laughs> <laughs> the ethical parable in Fortnite. Yeah, the younger kids are still very much into just uh, shoot things and blow things up. Uh, or, you know. I mean,
3: and, and they they really got into gaming at Minecraft, which I actually think is a great, which is great. Place it's a great time. I mean, I'm a, I'm a millennial who happens to have slightly older children for a millennial. But what a great... I thought I knew from the get-go that it was going to be a great addition to our lives. And it really was. And they've kind of grown out of it a little bit more. But I just love all the thoughtfulness that I can tell you have brought to your games with... Making sure that people realize that you know a game is a representation of real life, and a real life is much more complex than just do you live or do you die, and exactly. these, this just the mentioning of making amends for something that you've done wrong—that's just so profound for adults who are, are looking for lessons. I, they might not come into playing a game looking for lessons for the real life, but they're going to leave
4: learning. That's something. exactly right. In fact, you know that's what we try to do with the uh, the games that I write is uh, you know life life choices are complex, and uh, and actually now. In the game, we try to uh, represent the, that level of complexity. Almost any choice you make, there is someone who won't like that choice, mm-hmm. and so uh, you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. There's, there's someone who will support you, and someone who will uh, be harmed by that choice, and so some damage will be done that you want to go uh, fix, mm-hmm. you know, along the way. So,
3: and your kids are how old now? They're
4: cool, oh, quite young. Yes, <laughs> yeah, minor. And- mine are just turned six and about to turn four. So. And so,
3: what kind of gaming do they do?
4: not much they're you know they're still in very young mm-hmm. um, uh, kid apps little little you know the most complex things they do are little uh, math uh, tutor games mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, and little word spelling games that sort of thing. But, do they uh,
3: play Omar's favorite game where you you pretend you're running a restaurant and everybody's a server? Oh yeah,
4: Oprah No, there's a Doctor Panda. Oh yes, uh, restaurant. <laughs> yeah, all the Doctor Panda games. Oh, so you
3: you love that they love games, a certain kind of games. Or what do you look for when you're thinking about games introduced to them? That you well think-
4: for as a parent, you know. Uh, well, if, even the problem is similar whether you're an adult or or when you're buying for your children, which is that you know. Uh, just like when you're trying to buy art for your house or furniture, you know there's a lot more furniture you would not want to buy, uh, in contrast to the furniture you would want to buy. And the you know same thing's true for games. If you're buying for yourself, the majority of games you won't enjoy, mm-hmm. and there's a few you would enjoy. And if you're buying for your children, nine out of ten are not things you think are either appropriate or that they will choose to enjoy. And so even when I buy for my kids, I I buy or download you know you know 10 items to find one that mm-hmm. i think is appropriate for so you just my do, a lot, do a lot of screening for that i do a lot of screening and throw, toss a lot lot to side well that that brings me back
1: to shroud of the avatar i was wondering there was one company i talked to that was doing an MMO here in town and they said we're specifically targeting these people that used to play these games you know when they existed back back in the you know pre MMO days i'm wondering when you were building shroud of the avatar were you thinking I want to get those people, but I also want to get these younger players that oh, never absolutely. were around for those games.
4: Oh, absolutely. And, and in fact, in our case, you know, just because, uh, uh, you know, I, as you know, I mean, I, I, I wrote my first games when there weren't even personal computers. I go back to teletypes. And so, uh, you know, I, I have to not only target my own core fan base, but a lot of those folks, you know, are, you know, literally have fallen off planet Earth at this point. So, you know, I have to be targeting the younger demographic. Uh, and so I, I want to both keep my core fans, but I have to be watching the younger trends as well. And so uh, uh, that's really the only way to, uh, uh, you know, have an audience is to is to kind of do the best of both worlds. What, what were some of the things that went into Shroud of the Avatar* to kind of like attract some of that audience? Well, you know, the uh, you know, the, the one of the one of the to, to my mind, one of the tragedies of uh, of keeping up uh, in the modern era is that uh, because of the Moore's law. Sp- you know, doubling of machine speeds uh, you know, every couple of years, it means that the race to have the best bells and whistles is really still what sells. And so uh, that sort of keeps the majority of the market is still chasing how big are the explosions, how visceral are the clouds of smokes, and you know, uh, you know, how big are the guns, so to speak. And so even though I try to avoid a lot of that, just because I don't think that that is very deep, <laughs> in fact, it's very specifically not deep. <laughs> uh, and yet you have to give enough of a nod to that. You have to have those TV moments. You have to have those uh, the, the, the action shot reel. You have to be able to put those, those moments together in, a, in an action reel enough to where people will go, oh, that's interesting enough for me to look at. And then it also has the depth to follow, hmm. and so we have to have it have enough of that gloss on the top to get them to observe it, and then you capture them long term with the depth. Hmm. Well, one of the most interesting things about the game last time we talked uh, about it was
1: just the, the player-created items in the game that players were creating their own objects. That you're kind of sharing assets with other studios. Just this idea that you're not just like this godlike figure putting something out into the world. You're actually you know, getting stuff back from your audience and from other studios. Oh, in fact,
4: like, that's uh, essential at this stage. In fact, one of the lessons that started with Ultima Online, uh, but has become more and more true over time, which is that you know, I don't, you know, I don't care how big your studio is. I mean, ours is a relatively small studio. I mean, we spent you know twelve million dollars making this game, but that's still tiny mm-hmm. compared to the biggest games. The biggest franchises now spend probably two hundred million to five hundred million making the AAA titles. Even if we had that kind of budget, the players would still consume all of it within a matter of a month or two. (laughs) (laughs) And so even if you had literally an unlimited budget, the players will consume everything you create much, much faster than you could possibly create it. And so your only hope to keep them entertained for years and therefore also hopefully providing you funding and, and, and buying the product and, and, you know, and investing in it and supporting your team for years is if they are also part of the creation process, if they're entertaining each other. And part of the way we accomplish that is we say uh, we want the players to also be in part of the creation process. Now the, the problem with that is that most people are not good creators, right? I mean, if you had to say, you know, the reason why you are all employed as writers and podcasters, et cetera, is you are the cream of the crop in your own industries, hopefully, and so uh, and so. That's you know, if if you if you would if we switched roles and you try to do my job and I try to do yours, w- life would probably not be as good for either of us. <laughs> this would be a terrible <laughs> podcast if that happened. <laughs> and so uh, 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 the same thing was true would be true for the audience if, you know, of, of players if we if we sw- if I switched roles with them. And so what we have to do is. You know, there's maybe 0.1% of the players are good at being game masters or dungeon masters in a gaming sense. And so, what we have to do is provide them the tools to make art, to make adventures, and then we have to also celebrate them and give them rewards within the game. Uh, to, to be celebrated, to have their stuff be showcased, to take the stuff that's not very good and move it out of the way and get it erased out of the game uh, so that, uh, you know, the high-quality stuff bubbles up and becomes bountiful. There's some element of curation to it, it sounds like. Exactly. It ha- but it has to be sort of automatically curated. We can't, we can't rely on, again, our labor to go in and curate it, again, mm-hmm. because it's a, there's too many of them and too few of us.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, so can we get straight to space? Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so how long has it been since you were in space?
4: This is the tenth. This year, this October, will be the tenth anniversary of my f- flight to space.
3: And you said, "Well, everything except the food is great."
4: Yes, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah There's there, <laughs> sure there there maybe some There's a very that. long list of really great aspects of, and reasons to go to space. Food is not one of them.
3: Okay, give me the example of what what did you not like in space? Well,
4: so uh, uh, so you know, the food food in space. Well, it's not exactly bad. There's pretty much nothing good about mm-hmm. it either. It's f- pure function. It's pure function. You're, what they what the what the take up is pretty much literally uh, military rations. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because those are self-contained, your shelf life room temperature, you know, bags that you can just ship up there in quantity and leave mm-hmm. in a locker. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what's funny about the food though is that they send you up, you know, a. Uh, you go through this process on the ground where you actually get to try to pick out which meals they want you to put on board, uh, but uh, you can, frankly, none of it's very good, so you say, sure, whatever, put it up there, and uh, and they put, you know, you know, a full meal for every meal that you're going to be up on in space, but you actually, you're not really working out that hard when you're in space compared to on Earth, mm-hmm. and so you don't eat that much, so mm-hmm. there's extra food, there's about twice as much food as anybody would ever need, and... Plus, all the people who've been up there ahead of you for a full year have had twice as much food as they've ever needed. And so there's this massive amount of extra food up there. And so what happens is every mealtime, people go to the food lockers. And as opposed to eating what's been specified to you, you raid the locker for the last <laughs> year's worth of excess food for the parts and pieces to try to put together something remotely interesting. <laughs> and so the best things we found were it's either, you know, uh, reconstituted, you know, freeze-dried basically macaroni and cheese that you reconstitute with hot water. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can tell how mm-hmm. great that would be.
3: Well, Kraft sells a version of it now on yeah, I know. grocery store shelves. And
4: I'm sure you know how good that is.
3: No, no.
4: yeah, <laughs> Or or actually, literally, the best thing, and this was actually not so bad, was there were occasionally these little packets of uh, foil packets of tortillas mm-hmm. that tasted like no,
3: tortillas. No bread because of crumbs. Yep. Tortillas. Factoid from
4: and uh, uh, And then there was this, uh, this m- meat that Sort of like a beef jerky, they would sort of. Can we you could imagine there was brisket slices that we could sort of make these. Uh, uh, you know, a poor man's version of a of a, a fajita. Uh, with uh, strips of meat and a tortilla and something wait, else. Wait, wait, Richard, running. Richard, are you, are you trying to tell us that you invented space tacos? <laughs> yes, sort <laughs> of. Well, I, I wasn't the inventor but it wasn't <laughs> one of my crewmates.
3: No, the Tacos in space. <laughs> so I actually I got to go to Houston to uh, cover some of the food stuff at the Space Center over there and that is actually the very first thing they tell you is that there's no bread that goes in space. It's all tortillas because They're of crumbs. crumbs. Yeah.
1: Uh, so we have something that, that happened very recently. Uh, mm-hmm. You were met, met with the mayor yes. very recently to talk about your kids. Mm-hmm. When I go to the mayor to talk about my kids, it's just because they're in trouble. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was. You all went to the North Pole and took a an Austin flag there, and then you were presenting the flag to the mayor. Is, is it, how did all yeah, this happen? What, what? Yeah,
4: well, in fact, what? Yeah, that was interesting that the mayor actually noticed that we were there in the first place, which was, was kind of cool. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah. So uh, on April seventeenth, we happened to be at the North Pole with my kids. So uh, I'm on the board of uh, an organization called the Explorers Club. And we have a Young Explorers group, which is really uh, all of our children, all of us who are members, we decided to put a lecture series together for our children. So once a month, basically, we, 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 we take turns lecturing to our children for the most part but it's actually a pretty cool lecture series like you know somebody's a you know wildlife expert that has brought in like literally wolves into the clubhouse and so our kids play with their wolves and I give a lecture about space for example or whatever else it might be and so some of the some of the lectures are pretty darn cool and then after we've been on this now for 3 years and so then we said you know our kids really need to go out and go, do some real field work i need fodder for this speech i got to give yeah and so uh, so we said well you know where, where, where can our kids go? They would be they could actually do some real experiments, and it would be fun for us and fun for the kids. So we thought, let's take them to the North Pole. And so we put together a real experiment list, and uh, some of the older kids put together, actually, I mean, t- some teen kids that were with us put together some actual hardware experiments. And our kids got involved in some water filtration experiments that uh, uh, were even with Scripps Institute and other things. And mm-hmm. we connected with uh, school kids in the united states and uh, the uk and all the way up to some inuit kids in siberia and greenland and uh, anyway really quite a i mean quite a serious expedition really all told uh, and i took the flag of the city of austin just cuz i thought it would be a good fun thing to do and uh, and i took an iridium satellite connection and when we were at the north pole and furled the uh, the flag took a picture of it and tweeted it and Mayor Adler saw it, and so Cause the mayor is always on Twitter. Apparently, yeah. And so he retweeted and said, hey, "Well, wow, that's so cool." And I sent him a tweet right back. Said, "We're going to bring it to you when we get back." And so that's what we did. So uh, just a couple days ago, on uh, July third, I guess it was, uh, we uh, had that nicely framed with uh, the mission the, because we had patches, of course, to the to the expedition. Uh, and we put a blow plaque with it and the f- kids returned the flag to Mary Adler
3: Well if I may, maybe try to ask you one last question here for this interview about now that you've become a parent your travel has changed I'm sure your day to day life has changed in many ways I'm sure your video, ga- how you think about video games has changed. Is there a way that have you, have you come to any sort of realizations or aha moments about blending these offline and online video game and, and, and non-video game parts of your lives your life, especially now that you've become a dad
4: well, you know, what's interesting is um, I, I think the main thing it's made me think about is um, the accessibility levels. You know, it's fascinating that when I play with my kids nearby to see kind of uh, it, you know, there, there are certain tropes about user interface that, you know, once you've done these things a million times, you think of a really natural, like everybody – Everybody understands mouse look, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, know you move mouse around and uh, WASD and E, you know, just naturally moves things in a first person shooter kind of game. And of course, a kid has no idea how that mm-hmm. works. And uh, you go, ah, okay, these are things that have to be taught, mm-hmm. or you really, there's no reason to expect that people would know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sit and you watch them observe things like, my kids love to see me play. And they love to watch me fight monsters. And they, since it's an online game with other real people, it took them a while to discover things like those aren't just NPCs. Those are real people. And so as soon as they realize that like if I as the creator, if I go jump in the river, people follow me and jump in the river. And they think that that's funny that other people follow me around through the game. And, and so they begin to – they they sort of analyze the psychology of group activity in a new way. And so it just makes it – it's just interesting to reflect mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, kind of just see it happening through their eyes because it just makes me kind of just sit down and think of the socialization aspects and the user interface aspects in a new way. I, I don't I don't really have a, 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 an output yet mm-hmm. for you to say uh, here's my aha about how I'm going to change the way I design games. Well, you do have a new am, book. But I am, I am analyzing it. But, the, the, but I actually wrote this book – when they were still truly babies, yeah. so uh, but still they're still young. I mean, you're young. at the
3: beginning of this journey, I'm still at the very beginning. and you did exactly. make your way to the North Pole, which probably might not have been on your yeah well, your what, travel list. What was
1: the conversation like? Of like, "Hey, Dad, where's Santa?"
4: <laughs> where, oh, yeah. Where? Actually, my kids are our skeptics. They already know. <laughs> they already know everything. It's uh, it's it's interesting. I decided uh, that I wasn't going to you know, raise them with any uh, with any um, you know, uh, beliefs that I didn't believe. And, uh, uh, and what I found about that is that they are perfectly capable of turning these sort of things on and off at, w- at will. So even though if, if you ask them as an adult to go, like, you know, tell me, the, tell me the truth about Santa, they'll go, like, oh, of course I know. But if you say, what do you want for Christmas and how does Santa get in the house, they will completely go back into the fantasy <laughs> of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I actually think it works out just fine mm-hmm. because they'll, they'll role play great. Mm. And uh, uh, but they also fundamentally know the truth that's really cool well Richard thank you for being with us if you want to know more about Richard's amazing
1: life uh, he wrote a book that came out last year called Explore Create which is about creativity and kind of an autobiography as well I learned so much about Richard that I had forgotten over the years from talking to him over the years about all these amazing things that he's done. He's been to the Titanic. He's been to space. He used to do these amazing Halloween parties in Austin that that we miss. So like, yeah, it's been like really amazing to read this book and kind of relive a lot of Richard's
4: experiences. We, we, and hopefully when the kids get a little older, we'll start doing those haunted houses again. When, please, when bring the them When the kids back. are old we enough want, to do it. So. We need yeah. that for sure. So uh, well,
1: Richard, thank you so much for being here. My and pleasure. Good, good luck with Shroud
4: of the Avatar. Thank you.
3: Melissa Radke is funny, really funny. But like most parents, she also feels guilty a lot of the time. She talks to us about how she processed that mom guilt online with thousands of people watching. Melissa Radke, thank you so much for coming to I Love You So Much. Is it called I Love You So Much? I Love You So Much.
5: That's what it's called? And we just met.
3: And we just met and I do love you so much. (laughs) The name of the podcast really speaks to our enthusiasm about... Things and people and places in Austin, but also people who come and share their awesome art with us. And for those those listening, you are, I mean, you are um, enthusiastic
5: to say the least. You bounded off the elevator like a little cheerleader. I was like, I can put her in my purse and take her around with me and have her cheer for me.
3: You were just in my pocket talking to me on Facebook and keeping me company. So uh, for Austin listeners who aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing here today.
5: Well, thank you so much for having me. I am, I, I am a vlogger. I started vlogging. That's a thing. <laughs> My mother thought it was a sexual term. It's actually not. Um, I started doing that on a social media about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And one of the very first videos I put out was called Red Ribbon Week, where I was bemoaning the trial that parents have to go through to dress their kids up every freaking day for wacky red hair, wacky hair, crazy hats, hey, camo. Day. And I put this little video up. We thought it would be kind of funny. I had maybe put up three or four videos before this one. And as of today, it's had 100 million views. <laughs> to say it went viral is to, you know, putting it mildly. It, yeah. um, went on to, to make several other videos that have been on today.com and Us Weekly and all this kind of stuff about parenting, about marriage, about trying to lose weight, about how I cannot contour my makeup. and uh, But I made one. A couple of years ago when I turned 41 and I titled the video Eat Cake Be Brave and it traveled all across the world and up to the uh, desk of a editor in New York City. All that to say my book comes out um, this coming up month in July and here I am now in Austin speaking at the Texas Writers Convention which they're probably gonna like stone me or throw tomatoes at me for starting on social media no
3: I love you just have a non-traditional path towards it's very non-traditional being being a writer but I think that's what obviously is your strength because you've inspired so many people who want to have a voice and they want to tell a story and that's the takeaway that I got from your book so far is that everybody has a story everybody has a story worth telling and at your furtive 41st birthday you decided you were going to tell your story.
5: Well, here yeah, here's the deal. I had sat on my story for a long time. And all, all of my scars are a story. you probably heard that mm-hmm. said before. But I knew that my story could change somebody. It could help somebody. But I was too freaking scared to share it. Mm-hmm. And I do not know why, but when I turned 41, that's no magical number if anything. 40 should be the magical number, right? That's mm-hmm. when you're like partying and having a great time with your friends. 41, I describe it as when I, you know, Thought out a pot roast I'd had in my, year, my freezer for a year and bought myself my own cake. Uh, 41's not special. Mm-hmm. But as I leaned down over the table to blow out the candles on the cake, I heard my children who had come to me after 12 years of infertility um, through adoption. I heard them mm-hmm. say to me, Mom make a wish and make it count. And that was it for me. I don't know why but in that moment I literally told myself, Melissa I'll give you one year. I'll give you 12 months. You be brave. If it scares you, do it. If it freaks you out, try it. But just 12 months. And if you're back here in the same place in one year, hey, so what? At least you tried. So what are some of the things you did that year? I continued to put up videos. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I like to say that I have a face for radio.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
5: you know, I'm not the most attractive girl. I'm not supposed to be on video. I don't know you're pretty darn cute. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but I, that was brave for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm heavier than most women I I don't have any fashion sense at all I fix my hair like my mother and she's 65 Um, so I really shouldn't be putting out videos but I continued to Um, I continued to write even though nobody was reading my stuff I continued to travel and speak even to little bitty rinky dink places Mm -hmm. I just kept stepping out stepping out stepping out of the boat and then
3: eventually you started a podcast I did so it's called Ordinary People Ordinary Things what is the idea behind this show?
5: well you know i'm from lufkin i'm not from the austin area i'm from lufkin which is in east texas town of about forty thousand. so we're not super small we got an applebee's for god's sake (laughs) but um and if you're like if you really want to go out we've got an outback okay but don't be jealous of me right now y'all that's date night i know that's date that's valentine's yeah (laughs) um but within that town there are extraordinary stories But they are coming from ordinary people living ordinary lives. And I knew I wanted to start a podcast. I knew there were stories like mine out there. But look, you know, I'm not talking to Ellen DeGeneres and getting her story. I'm not talking to Kate Middleton. They won't call me back. But these ordinary people that come that I find that I meet in the grocery store they're sharing stories that are literally resonating
3: with people all across the globe that are listening to this little show that could it's the little show that could so empowering I love hearing that well you're going to be at Book People for a book signing on July 21st will you read a little bit from the book or will you just talk with your fans
5: I I wasn't sure because I've never done this before. So I asked my manager, hey, do I, and my agent, do I I get to read from the book? And they're like, what would you like to do? I was like, hells yeah, we're reading from the book. (laughs) So yes, I'm going to read some. I'm going to hug a lot. And I'm going to talk to people.
3: That's so great. What would you say is the response that you get from people when you meet them for the first time? And they make that connection from a friend, you know,
5: they feel like you're already a friend. That's 100% top. That's what I hear the most. Did you know we're best friends and you didn't even know it? And I, I love that. That's a huge compliment for me. But really, I think what it means is that I'm just relatable. I look like they look. I dress like they look. I wear the same size as them. I think that they just, they relate with me because I'm similar. I just, I just got it in a book first.
3: And what about those kids of yours who saw you blow out those candles? What my tell kids
5: you? okay I have to tell you um how old are they now Rocco is nine Remy is 12 um they're wonderful I adore them they're terrible like they're probably <laughs> hanging their picture is probably like hanging up in a post office somewhere like most wanted <laughs> but I love them um they are not well behaved they sure are cute uh they now see me these books came in the mail the other day all the hardbacks they were ready to go ready to go out to the stores and I was signing them I was autographing them and I looked at my son and I said do you know what I'm doing and he said are you signing all those books and I said yes people are wanting them signed and he went no, they're not, mama. They're just trying to make you feel good. <laughs> so thank you for making me brave and keeping me humble.
3: That's Aww. what I say to my kids. <laughs> well, Melissa, you are inspiring to so many people. I hope listeners go and check out your podcast, check out your book. And thank you so much for coming to the studio. Are
5: you kidding me? Thank you for having me. I really love you so much.
1: <laughs> Eric Webb, welcome to The Web Report.
0: Thank you, Omar. Oh, As always, happy to be here.
1: So it is summer everybody's hot and sweaty and uh musky
0: musky yeah. <laughs> aromatic
1: <laughs> and and we have a mosquito problem especially we had a lot of rain all of a sudden and now the mosquitoes are out in force uh so you you posted on facebook was it you specifically that posted the statesman the statesman
0: we are the same, are the same.
1: uh you all posted on the web desk uh for remedies for mosquitoes And last year i think it was nicole viapondo did a big roundup of like here are all of the uh insect bug spray repellent your
0: your offs your correct pete deets correct Your 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 deets your offs uh yeah she tested 16 varieties to see which ones left people itchy which ones actually seem to work and you know uh health officials do say like hey you know use your insect repellent there's a very real risk of zika or west nile But a thing that uh, I always think about is you always hear people say that they're trying to be a little more chemical free. Uh, They say like, oh, well, what do I use? Or for me, like every single time I put on mosquito spray, which I do because mosquitoes love me, there's always that like instant where I inhale an entire cloud of off or of outside Mm, or whatever. It doesn't smell healthy. It's not great. Yeah. And then you cough and you're like, that probably wasn't a good chemical (laughs) to directly inhale. When you start coughing blood, it's like, this doesn't seem right. Hmm, everything tastes like metal now. Why is that? (laughs) So, yeah. Why am I smelling oranges all of a sudden, (laughs) but only in my brain? (laughs) I think I speak German now? (laughs) Uh,
1: So, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. And and when I go to the farmer's market, you know, there's all these, like, you know, like things in little blue bottles Mm -hmm. that I'm like, well, what's in this? And they're like, flowers. Yeah. I'm like, no.
0: Well, essentially, maybe. So, here at the Web Report, we can either we cannot officially say, like, don't use... You know uh, those DEET uh, Don't
1: don't drown yourself in deet.
0: Yeah, we, we we can't say like do. We're not saying do or don't use deet, but we were curious the people who do go the maybe the homemade route, the DIY route, the, the homeopathic yeah. route. What people are using? So we actually had uh, some response from readers on uh, Facebook. Uh, one reader, Alice Coker Cruthers, said, "I won't use chemicals in my body. I mix water with lavender oil and spray it on my skin, hair, and clothes, and seems to keep seems to keep them away." Oh, do you now? And I well, <laughs> she does, and I love lavender, so that makes me feel like maybe I should just be slathering the lav- lavender on a little bit more heavily. But
1: then you had another person, like right after that, say lavender doesn't do anything.
0: That's right. Amy Sunstrom, another reader, wrote lavender didn't work, and it's my favorite scent. So Amy and I might be in the same boat. But she said peppermint is my new friend. I'm using it in the house for insects and rodents. So far, so good. I got an insect cream and an extract for the spray. Peppermint also a good aroma. You don't see a lot of mosquitoes around Christmas. You really don't. Maybe and- exact causal or I don't know I don't know let's get out the red string board and (laughs) see if there's a connection Uh, and so those are just a couple of the, uh, the you know proactive ways maybe keep mosquitoes away and if you do a little googling you'll see the essential oil trick is a trick that a lot of websites recommend um, there's one re- website, uh, Healthline, that recommends lemon, eucalyptus oil, cinnamon oil, thyme, Greek catnip, whatever Greek catnip is. Yeah, what is Greek catnip? It's catnip. It just uh,
1: <laughs> it's catnip with a side of feta. I
0: was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> it's catnip. It's just in uh, a baklava. Uh, soybean, tea tree, neem oil, which I don't know what neem oil is. And citronella, which makes sense because we all love, love and no one loved the citronella candle. Now let's park.
1: Let's park with citronella for, for a second. So that has kind of a funky smell. Like that mm-hmm. doesn't smell great mm-hmm. uh, unless you I guess you're used to that scent. But yeah. like so that, but that. That's what you you got. Your candles, you got your wristbands, Mm -hmm. and and so do do we consider that a chemical?
0: Your tiki torches. I don't know. It depends. Uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly what the makeup is of your average citronella candle, but it is from some type of natural oil. And keep in mind, for all these oils, uh, sources usually recommend you don't want to apply the oils directly on your skin. You want to dilute it somehow and make it into a solution of some sort. Is it
1: like a perfume thing where you spray it in the air and then just walk into it slowly? Yeah,
0: maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so that's for the, the ways to possibly keep mosquitoes away from you. But what if, like me, you've already been attacked by a horde of angry sky pirates, and you have welts all over your body like I do right now, uh, for uh, some maybe homemade remedies, uh, one reader, John Hershey, said to stop itching, heat a glass of water in the microwave for a minute or two, put a spoon in the water until it gets hot, but not too hot, and then press the spoon on the bite, itching gone, which seems to maybe make sense.
1: So you're, you're applying heat directly to the... To a sensation. To, to the bug To the bug bite. Weight. Yeah. So and, that seems to make sense. But that doesn't seem like it would last very long.
0: Probably not. But maybe one of the Why other... Why not a hot towel? I mean, that could work. Or just a jacuzzi. Jump in the coos. Okay. That could work. <laughs> uh, uh, other homeopathic remedies you can find on the internet include apple cider vinegar, a slice of raw onion, or a slice of freshly cut garlic as possible bite relief, which I'm not really sure I would weigh <laughs> the itchiness of the mosquito bite over the applying an, an onion to my skin. I think I'd take mm. the itch over the smelling like onions. Yeah. You know, if you go to CVS,
1: they have a thing called anti-itch- Ointment mm-hmm. that is exactly for this sort of thing, Perhaps. but I guess people don't don't trust the chemicals. Maybe, maybe
0: they don't. Yeah, maybe some people have chemical sensitivities. Now, now I have
1: a theory about all of these scented things, all of these like essential oils, and all the things that that you know make your body smell funky. Mm-hmm. I think it keeps people away. Ooh! And where there's no people, there's no mosquitoes. Okay, your roundabout way of.
0: It's a, it's a two in one for the introvert. You keep the mosquitoes away. <laughs> if and it's just you, away.
1: you're less likely to get get a mosquito swarm than if there's a gr- group of you.
0: If a mosquito bites you, no one is there to see it. Did it really happen?
1: <laughs> if a mosquito sucked blood in a yeah. in a void.
0: In a void, probably not. Then the mosquito would probably explode. <laughs> okay,
1: well, Eric, uh, thank you for joining us this week. And if if uh, listeners, if you have some mosquito repellent remedies some nat- natural or otherwise hey I- i'm down with chemicals tell us what you're using and how you're avoiding bites and or treating said bites absolutely let us know uh we're at, at love austin 360 on twitter or facebook and uh or email us uh, love austin 360 <laughs> at com. that's the one
2: Now we've come to the moment in our show where we have a toast. This is where we go around the table, sharing some things we think you, our listeners, would be into. So, Omar, how about you start us off?
1: Uh, I have a Twitter thread that I'm really into this week, and actually, it might be old by the time you hear this, but uh, but I'm really into it right now. Uh, this is a a person in Philadelphia, a writer and illustrator who goes by Mew, at Mu at Prinks M U. That's P R I N X E M U. And she posted a, uh, a thread asking, what's the most on-brand story you have from your early childhood? And I'll, <laughs> I'll, It's a great, great top conversation starter. So I'll read hers, which is fantastic. <laughs> Mine is when my mom told me not to touch the electric stove when it was red because that meant it was hot. So I made direct eye contact with her and slapped my hand down on the stovetop. <laughs> that is on brand for that person. So I, I heard a lot of stories from journalists saying like, Oh, I started in my first newspaper when I was three or I did this when I was so that's on a,
2: brand about you. Yeah. Like okay. what's
1: what's the most on brand story you have from your childhood? And the one I wrote was that um that when I was like two or three years old, one of my answer or uncles recorded me like an interview style telling stories and I'm like oh that was my first podcast at age three Aww. so that's very on brand for Omar guys. sweet
2: Omar. <laughs>
1: so think about your stories post them online uh, but I, I don't know that it's got a specific hashtag uh, but you can just search for like on brand early childhood and you'll see a lot of really funny really heartwarming tweets.
2: That reminds me of when you caught Avery in the garage saying, this is Avery Broyles and you're listening to my
3: show. Oh, he was like, and you're listening to I love you so much. He was practicing the I love he you so much. He was trying to do his cold open. That is so 21. great. You have me dying over here because I can think of about 18 on-brand Addie things, yeah. stories <laughs> from my childhood. Yeah, it, it goes Cute. to show
1: like how how little some parts of our personality change from childhood yeah. to adulthood.
3: Oh, Great tweet, great tweet. Love it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I will chime in and recommend Something that is on beat for me and on brand for me, which is, uh, well, I don't know if it's on brand. I have fallen in love with my Instant Pot. And I did not think I was going to be into this. So if you are- But no, that's Instant Pot. <laughs> you write about cooking food. I do write about cooking food, but I, I'm two years behind the Instant Pot trend because I was a little snotty about it, sort of thinking <laughs> that it was- Like, that's not real cooking. Not real cooking or that it, like I can be as nostalgic as anybody about like cooking like the way you're supposed to cook or sort of like holding onto traditions, even though I'm a, an early adopter in other areas. But I didn't think that the mania around the Instant Pot was really worth anything until I actually got one and I started cooking in it and I was, I mean I even did a live stream, you can find it on Facebook of unboxing this thing where I am losing my mind about the questions, I just had so many questions about like well, does, will it explode and isn't hard to use there are all these buttons, <laughs> do you program it? That's How a good first question mm-hmm. about most things, will it explode? I mean it's a pressure cooker it's so and, and I heard from a lot of people that they have Instant Pots or other brands of multi-cookers in their homes that they haven't used yet because of all these same fears So I decided just to tackle it head on. And I've been cooking for about a month on it. I have a series of stories that are coming out in late July, where I sort of break down the basics. And then I get into cheese, cheesecakes and, you know, gumbos and stews and other things that are a little bit more challenging beyond just like refried beans. Um, But I have just been making, here's what I really want to recommend. Getting a new tool like this, reinvigorates how you think about cooking mm. and I write about cooking so I'm prone to burnout but I think we all eat every day and are really prone to burnout and if you're feeling that way go into a Bed Bath & Beyond or wherever and just find some other cool tool as I mean an instant potter is like 80 bucks it's not that much you talked about a jewel not that long the ago su- the,
1: the, which completely reinvigorated the way I cook I mean, I'm, I'm cooking burgers and pork chops and stuff now in ways that I was completely bored
2: with yep. before mine is the magic bullet so like in it I was inspired to start making dressings,
3: but thicker dressings. Nice, like avocado. Yeah, yeah like avocado, yeah.
2: walnuts. Like, you know, you just need a little bit of the dressing and you can change your boring vegetables into exciting oh, that vegetables. Oh, amazing. Look at
3: us. Okay, well, so that's my, like right. my recommendation like a, for this week.
1: Like a chunky ranch?
2: <laughs> yeah, you could do that with a magic bullet.
1: I can go for a chunky ranch.
2: Okay. Um, I (laughs) there's no other way to say this I'm recommending a sex book (laughs) it's called (laughs) it has a very clever title of Come As You Are and (laughs) it's written by Emily Nagoski girlfriends of mine have been recommending this book to me for months and I want to say at the outset that this is not only written for uh, cis women but women who uh, people individuals who identify as women and also have anatomical parts that biologically we ascribe to um, cis women So um, and that include okay anyway you, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about so um anyway, but it's a it's I love the way Emily writes about this topic because she strikes that balance between science first and academic intellectual let's look at the data and see what this is saying. And she mixes that with this really fun millennial rhetoric. So, And she is this way because she's in front of undergrads all day long. Mm-hmm. So she it wants to get across the science, but she also wants it to be accessible. And um, it's really fascinating to me. I've just gotten into so many conversations with my girlfriends and with Ross about context and how important context is to female sexuality. We know we all know that a brain is the, is a part of it, but it really breaks down a lot of stereotypes that have actually come from old science, and we still carry with us that women experience shame around, and also men experience shame around too when it comes to like not knowing what to do with their partner. So, uh, the last thing I'll say about this book is this is not a, an extended Cosmo article about like. How to put what where. (laughs) This is more about, this feels more like someone giving you a big hug about any insecurity you have ever felt as a woman about your sexuality and assuring you that you're normal. We all have the same parts organized in different ways. And that applies to your genitalia as much as it applies to your brain. Hmm. So it's a really compelling, funny book. And I'm just recommending it to everyone I know, including. people who love women and want to
3: help them <laughs> want or help to, them.
2: Want to love on them even more effectively
1: <laughs> what's, the, what's the name of the author
2: uh, Emily Nagoski mm-hmm. come as you are the surprising new science that will transform your sexuality
3: love fantastic. it fantastic good toast this week guys. very Thanks. on brand toast if I do say myself, <laughs> myself. We, were, we were so
1: on brand this week
2: <laughs> that's our show she's Addy he's Omar I'm Tali Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at loveaustin360. If you liked what you heard today, leave us a review
3: on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. It helps other people discover the show. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidales. The show is made with support from Features Editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com.
1: You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672.
3: We couldn't do the show without you dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your Pokey Joe sausage wraps. Until next week, we'll see you standing in line for an ice cream at Sandy's.